Welcome to It's All Connected. I'm your host, Adam Nye. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to It's All Connected. And it has been a few weeks since I have posted an episode, and I am sorry about that. Um, I've been pretty busy, um, been busy especially with music. Um, as I've said in, a, I think, a couple of my earliest episodes, the music you hear at the beginning of this show is a little clip from my band, Too Bad Eugene. Uh, that song is the one you're hearing is track one off of our very first album. The album is it's sorry. The album is at any rate, and the song is Wedding Story, uh, and you can hear that on uh, iTunes or Spotify. But uh, we are we have begun recording a brand new album. Um, we, we started tracking drums this past weekend, so there's just been work getting ready for that, getting that started, and the work will continue for a while. Uh, but I'm really excited about it. And uh, I'm telling you that now, number one, to maybe nudge you toward our Kickstarter, um, which we would really appreciate. Uh, we, we are financing this album through crowdfunding on Kickstarter. So if uh, you're able to give to that, we would really appreciate it. You can find that um, Kickstarter. Oh, boy. Go to our, our Facebook page, which is facebook.com backslash too bad Eugene. T-O-O, bad, B-A-D, E-U-G-E-N-E. And uh, there's links to our Kickstarter all over the place there. Uh, or you can, you can find us on Instagram too, instagram.com backslash too bad Eugene. Uh, but I'm also telling you this because the, the episode after this one um, is actually going to be a crossover episode on this show where I launch a new podcast devoted to music. Uh, I'm going to talk about my other, you know, major passion. And this one more of a serious passion than watching Marvel stuff. I love watching superhero movies, but that's just sort of an entertainment uh, interest. Uh, Music, making music, listening to music, talking about music, that's, you know, uh, a bigger passion in my life. It's been there for a very, very long time, and it's becoming a bigger thing in my life recently. So I've decided, nah, Rather than just talk about music on this show uh, every once in a while, I'm going to do it one time, and I'm going to talk about the crossover between my interests, especially in punk rock, and comic book superheroes. Believe it or not, there is some interesting points of overlap there, and I'm going to talk about that on my next show to launch my new other podcast besides this one. Um, I know it's probably weird. I haven't made a new episode in this show in a few weeks. Why am I launching another one? Well, because I, I don't know, I'm not very smart. <laughs> I just sort of do things when they feel like they would be fun to do. And uh, yeah, maybe neither show will have new content all the time. It'll just sort of come and go when I've got the, the freedom to do it. But uh, yeah, that's, that's coming. This show, um, I want to talk about episode four of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. The whole world is watching. Um, I know, I, I think I talked about maybe doing an episode by episode kind of thing on this show and I just haven't had, there's been interesting stuff to talk about, but I just haven't seen like 
different things to talk about. And especially what, you know, central issues of the show. I talk about symbolism on my last episode and the way that relates, especially to questions of race and, uh, you know, who is able to bear the symbol of a nation and will our nation especially allow a black man to uh, bear the, the, a symbol that represents us as a people. And this show is really, I think, saying powerful things about the, those questions, but it's still saying them. <laughs> and so I'm kind of like, I'm not ready to do an episode until this show has said what it has to say. So as, we've, as I've finished earlier episodes, I'm like, eh, I'm not quite ready to, to make an episode about that episode because it's, you know, it's a story still in progress. It's one I'm fascinated by. But this most recent episode, which had a ton of interesting, I think, powerful things in it. I mean, especially that last shot of the episode, which I won't spoil if you haven't seen it. But man, talking about symbols of American power and, and um, what they mean, what they stand for, and the questions of supremacy versus equality, and uh, it's really interesting stuff. But in this episode, I only want to talk about that very opening scene. It was amazing. I'm talking about, and I'm going to spoil this if you haven't seen it, um, but I'm talking about the part of the episode where we have the six years ago flashback to Wakanda while Bucky Barnes was being the white wolf living in Wakanda, um, getting help there from his um, programming from Hydra, where they had brainwashed him, where if they said a sequence of words he became their puppet. He lost his free will, lost his agency, lost his uh, ability to choose what he was doing and just would say, ready to comply. And they would give him missions to go murder people and he would do them. And as he said, he remembers everyone, but it still wasn't him making the decisions of what he was doing. But in Wakanda, they're able to heal him. And the scene of his healing was so powerful on a storytelling level, on an emotional, psychological level, but I have found also on a theological level. Um, let, me, let me pause before I get to the theology I see in it, but just to say a little bit more about the scene itself. Um, Ao, who's a uh, member of the Dora Milaje, the um, kind of royal um, guard of Wakanda, warrior, um, all-female uh, troop of warriors. Uh, Ao is, is, has clearly been working with Bucky. They're out in the wilderness by a campfire, and, and she's now going to test whatever work they've been doing together to see if he's been freed from his programming. So she starts saying the words that usually trigger his, uh, you know, uh, ready-to-comply robotness. And as she starts, he's like, it's not going to work. And he looked dis looks despondent. And as she goes through that set of code words, you know, horrible memories of his past trauma are dredged up by this. But by the time she finishes, he does not say ready-to-comply. He's still Bucky. And so Ao says to him, you are free. And, and he has to kind of look up at her and, and have her say it again, because this is his first experience of ever been, uh, being exposed to, confronted with those words and coming through it with his 
you know, free will still intact. And so she says it again with a beautiful smile on her face. You are free. And he just breaks down, sobbing, because he realizes she's right. He has been liberated of bondage, a bondage he has been, uh, that, that has been shackling him for decades. And he is finally free of it. And so he just weeps, beautiful tears of joy. It is such a moving scene. Um, it reminds me of an equally powerful scene in an older movie called The Mission. If you've never seen The Mission, it's a hard movie to watch, but I encourage you to see it. Robert De Niro and Jeremy Irons have a scene together that is really similar, where Jeremy Irons frees, frees Robert De Niro from a burden he's carrying. And as he feels the weight of, of, uh, of his guilt, of his shame, of, of his past, being cut away from him, he just weeps. And it's, it's hard not to weep with him. So, theologically, what, what am I on about there? Why, why do I see that as a theologically significant scene? Well, to me, because it is, it is a picture of salvation. It is a picture of what uh, the Christian faith teaches us about what Christ has done for us in freeing us in a similar way. And to me, it is, a, it is a helpfully kind of restorative picture of salvation, restoring potentially, for, for a lot of modern Christians, a much fuller vision of what salvation is than we often have. Um, salvation for some, for many, modern Christians uh, is, a, is a bit of a truncated um, shriveled <laughs> version of what salvation has been in the Christian faith historically. Um, it's been reduced basically to a transaction in which Christ has taken our guilt and removed that from us. So, so within the heavenly ledger, God no longer counts us, us guilty of our, of our sin. Christ was punished for it, and so now we are no longer um, you know, we, we no longer carry the guilt and, and the liability to punishment for our sin. That is not all that is there, biblically or in the history of Christian theology in teaching on how Christ has saved us. That aspect of it is there. And despite some counterclaims among some modern theologians, it has been there from the beginning. Um, some have wanted to say that this idea of um, you know, suffering our punishment for our guilt is a much later development that you don't get until, um, some will say you don't get till the Reformation. Others will say you get it maybe in Anselm of Canterbury at the kind of the turn of the first millennium. So is it, does it not show up until three quarters of the way from the time uh, of Christ until us? Or does it come halfway between the time of Christ and us. No, to me, it's a fairly well-documented thing that, no, that aspect of what Christ has done for us is in Christian teaching from, from the early church. It's there from the very beginning. But it's not all that is there from the very beginning. That is not everything there is to say about what Christ does for us. Um, because when it is everything to say, then, yeah, the Christian faith gets treated as kind of a, yeah, you... you 
You say your sinner's prayer so you get your card punched so you don't have to go to hell when you die as punishment. You get to go to the nice place. You get to go to heaven because Jesus paid, you know, paid your ticket. He paid the penalty that you should have gotten for your sin. So now you get to sin with impunity because the punishment's already been, you know, taken. So, you know, that's it. Now, nobody responsibly teaches the gospel that way, but lots of people hear it that way Um, because, you know, we're pragmatists. We're just sort of listening for the bottom line. And when we hear the preaching that's coming to us from the pulpit, though it's dressed up better than that, still it's crassly heard in those terms. Oh, like what Jesus did was, you know, pay my punishment. So what we're, uh, so I I don't really want to litigate the history of, you know, how it got that way. Um, The conversations about how it got that way have, were kicked off in the 20th century, I think most notably by Gustav Allen, who wrote a book called Christus Victor, which gives us a picture of what Christ has done to save us a little bit more relevant to what I'm talking about. What Christ does in his whole life and on the cross and in his resurrection is triumph over the powers that bind us and free us from them, right? It is Christ as liberator. He is victorious over the powers that oppose us. Um, And so Gustav Allen wanted to sort of promote that picture. And he wanted to say that is the dominant image you find in the early church and you don't find the idea of Christ as, um, you know, object of punishment in our place. And I think he's wrong about that. You do find that theme in the early church, but he's right to say that you also find this theme of Christus Victor. I just think you, you find them both and you find a few other things as well. Um, but it's something that it's just probably not being said enough within our church today, this idea of Christ as liberator. And that um, his ministry for us, I mean, maybe just the way to start on this is just to say that it's multifaceted. Christ as savior is not something that, that can be fully expressed in a single metaphor. And the New Testament uses several to, to describe what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. It is a rich thing that requires a rich set of, um, of pictures and metaphors to communicate. Um, the recommended reading for this week, which is not something I do every week, but I certainly should. <laughs> I feel like I, should, I probably should give you a good book you could read for every topic I'm talking about. On this one, I really highly recommend a fairly recent book by a guy named Josh McNall, um, who's... Uh, a really great guy. I've got to share some um, In-N-Out Burger with him uh, at the Los Angeles Theology Conference. Um, but he has a book called The Mosaic of Atonement in which he, he treats this, this idea that there are multiple ways the New Testament describes what Christ has done for us that each correspond to a different way of understanding what sin is, right? Um, and, and uh, the main point he wants to make in his book is that the various ways the New Testament describes Christ's uh, mediation on our behalf um, as our Messiah should be given a particular shape. You can take the various metaphors and kind of organize them, and a certain mosaic emerges from it. And it's a really compelling read. Um, and uh, so, yeah, he's, he's got sort of four major motifs that he, um, he makes sort of the mosaic of a person. So he talks about Christ as um, 
the, the sort of true human, the second Adam, the one who, um, who, who is our great high priest who like becomes what we are as the feet of atonement. Christ, in, in becoming fully human, stands where we are so that he can be our new head, our, you know, it's federal headship. He is the second Adam. And that requires a bit more treatment than I, than I can give in this, this episode. But just to say that, there's, that, that um, Christ binds us to himself so that we are not just in a relationship with Christ, we are somehow in Christ. In the same way, the Bible says we are in Adam. We're talking about corporate identity here as a human species, and, and Christ establishes a new humanity by becoming human. Um, and he says that is the foundation for all the rest of the atonement theories. But then you can move on from there to talk about um, um, penal substitution, which is the idea that Christ takes our punishment, right? That is the, um, the, the heart, he'll say, of, um, of atonement. Now, I'm, I don't have the book in front of me. <laughs> I'm like, wait, do I remember all the other ones? Um, yeah, right. It goes out from there to the, that like Christ also gives us an example. That's another thing of talking about what Christ does for us. He lives a virtuous life. He lives a life um, obedient to the Father and thereby demonstrates what that looks like for us. There have been some in the history of theology who have said that's precisely how Jesus saves us, by giving us a moral exemplar. A moral example. So we call that sort of the you know, moral exemplar theory of atonement. Um, and some have wanted to say that is exclusively the right way to talk about atonement. Um, Josh McDonald wants to say, no, it is a right way of talking about atonement, but it, it doesn't work by itself. It needs to be integrated into the larger, larger mosaic. And then the final thing here is this idea of liberation, where in coordination with the rest of these um, did I say sin as liberation? <laughs> I don't remember what I said. Uh, what I mean is salvation as liberation, which then corresponds to sin being uh, understood, uh, understood as captivity. Um, so that we can see, in coordination with the rest of these uh, theories of atonement, Christ has triumphed over the powers that, that enslave us both those outside of us, political powers that we, we might look to and feel like, oh, they're, they're robbing us, they're robbing me of my freedom. Christ shows us, no, they are not. They could not possibly do so. Christ standing up against the, uh, you know, the corruption, uh, the injustice of one of the best <laughs> of human empires, one of the most, uh, most just um, human civilizations, but still... Still an, an unjust empire. Uh, the Roman Empire pours out its fury on Christ. He absorbs it and he rises again, showing that it, its power is not really ultimate. And that as we are bound to him and can trust that we will rise again too, we are freed from fear of what anyone can do to us. So we are freed in a, in a political sense but not according to the political uh, politics of this world, because it's also integrated with this deep inner sense, right? He has freed us from the burden of guilt. He's freed us from enmity with God. We are reconciled with God. Uh, and through that, we can be reconciled to ourselves, to each other, uh, and to every person we meet. Um, er erasing the, uh, 
the us versus them conflicts of human existence and, and, and liberating us to be the advocate, the neighbor, the, a, a generous participant in community with those around us because we have been freed to do so. We've been freed from fear. We have been freed from, um, for, yeah, as I said, from, from, from everything that might, uh, might hold us captive. So I saw some of, something of that uh, given powerful portrait in that opening scene in, uh, in this past week's episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, that is where I will wrap it up today. Um, as I said, you can look forward to a new episode where I pivot a little bit and talk about punk rock and how that relates to uh, superheroes and stuff. Uh, that should be coming hopefully sometime in the next week. I hope you have a fantastic week. Let me give one more plug to check out my band, Too Bad Eugene, um, on Twitter, backslash Too Bad Eugene, uh, Instagram, backslash Too Bad Eugene, or Facebook, backslash Too Bad Eugene. All three of those will direct you to our Kickstarter if you would like to help us make our new record, which I am very excited for people to hear. All right, have a great week. Bye-bye.